and welcome to Fine Beats and Cheeses, the podcast that starts getting real. Real black! <laughs> yes. I am Leslie Grace Streeter. <laughs> I am Leslie Grace Streeter. I am not stupid. I am, however, a columnist for the Baltimore Banner, a an author, a speaker, a very slow runner, and someone who has so much to say in this topic and hopefully will be hired again after I have this conversation. Um, okay. With me, joining me today is my podcast host and twin sister. What is your name, ma'am? I'm Lynn Streeter Childress. I make theater for kids and um i um don't eat a half a sleeve of uh trefoil girl scout cookies at once it's all i have to tell you today thank you okay <laughs> too old getting too old as danny glover said anyway go ahead mm-hmm. okay and our host our guest today is i'm meredith davis Yay! Okay, so Meredith Davis is a solution-focused leader that possesses three decades of experience in nonprofit, higher education administration, and teaching. Davis's focus areas are equity, access, diversity, inclusion, inclusion, thank you, crisis management, leadership development, training, and strategic planning. Her educational and pastime expertise is blackness and the intersections of historical and popular culture. With a degree in sociology, she is obsessed with culture. Her favorite saying is, if you are willing to do it, I am willing to watch. Please welcome Meredith Davis. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, So a little side note, um, we've known Meredith for a very long time. Oh, Um, so long. (laughs) Did you go to Fall Fan too? No. Okay. uh, okay. (laughs) No. City. City. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah. We went to the same high school, and Meredith and I went also to the same college. We were a year apart at St. Mary's College of Maryland in St. Mary City. And so um, she's always been the real deal and Aww. always knew that cool things were going to happen to her and, and for her. And also watching um, Facebook, you so you you see people's lives and you feel like you've talked to people, mm-hmm. yeah. but you really have not talked to people. So yeah. it is very exciting to actually be talking to you and seeing you, uh, your actual mouth move, <laughs> Meredith, and not just reading about you on the face in the book. <laughs> it's a delight to be here. It is a delight to be here. Thank you. So Meredith, would you tell us the subject that you have brought to us today? We will decide whether or not it is cheesy and whether it's awesome. And it really is awesome. That's a spoiler alert. (laughs) So I want to talk about race and reality TV. And one of the reasons that I like this, because when we first started this podcast, we were like, okay, so it's going to be soap operas and this and that. and, And that's a lot of it is amazing, but we like that we've had some guests very recently kind of go a step beneath it because on, on its surface, reality TV can be very cheesy, but like everything, there are layers to it in the way that it is that things like gender and race and class are portrayed are not a mistake. Mm-hmm. So Meredith, why was this something you wanted to talk about? So, well, First of all, I have been for like for like eight days straight. I've been watching the Love and Hip Hop channel. Okay, don't ask me how I got on this spinning wheel. (laughs) Please just tell me how to get off. I can't stop watching. Okay, I've watched all of New York, all of Miami, um, all of Hollywood, Atlanta, and there are some Atlantas that are just classic. And I think what's interesting, and in, in when you mentioned the soap opera piece, I grew up watching soap operas with my mm-hmm. mother. So kindergarten was only a half a day. So by the time I got home, uh, Young and the Restless, As the World Turns, Guiding Light, Search for Tomorrow, General Hospital, One Life to Live, all those were on. And I grew up watching them. And I think that reality TV is a nuanced version of soap operas. Um, In the sense that, you know, soap operas, while they are somewhat scripted, I'm not sure if they have detailed scripts, um, but reality TV is very similar. Well, at least it's morphed into being more of a scripted kind of reality. Like at first it was reality. Now it's a scripted reality. Um, And it's just interesting to see how what people are just willing to do on TV. I mean, just like, 
and it, and and part of it is the reason I I am addicted, especially to black reality TV, is because I feel like this is a great gauge to really see generationally where we are, like mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And I will say something. I, I wish I knew half of what these younger women know now. Mm. They are so, I don't care. I don't care if their tails are out. I don't care if they pop and peas. I don't care what it is. What I, what I, I do like about it is that they're bold. Yes. They're unafraid. Um, they're vulnerable, um, messy. Yeah. And, you know, I think the first time I really got in- involved in like having a politic around it, because to me, it's a politic is when the whole Cardi B and her husband, you know, when they were going through the, before they even got married, when she was, you know, breaking up with him because he cheated on her and people were just dogging her out. I'm like, hello, I know if I was 23, I'd do the same damn thing she did. She's not doing anything we wouldn't do. She's just doing it on TV. Right. But I've always been the type of person that it's, I'm less inclined to judge the person who's willing to put themselves out in the arena versus those who are willing to watch. Because there's a level of bravery and courage you have to actually yeah. put yourself out there and to critique what someone is doing while you're home safely nestled into your security blanket. That's that's easy. I wanted to ask you something because I think this is a generational thing. I think for, particularly for black people, we as Gen Xers are in the first, we're the real world generation. We're the mm-hmm. first um a generation that grew that started we were adults basically when reality television in this current form came out and we were still beholden to a certain amount of re- of um respectability politics yeah. that says particularly things like the real world were very carefully cast you know kevin powell who was this very uh. pro-black thinker and writer and intellectual yeah. and then you had heather b who was a Andy rapper Roman was on real world yeah, exactly so you had this very specific um, type of black person that was cast and a lot of it was do they make us look good is this the way we want to be seen in this mostly white arena as black people and I think that when you said it's 30 years later when there are more and more things like love and hip-hop that are not at all catered to the white gaze yeah that- but, you, but you know what's interesting about real world and it's funny when I went to Ghana I w- it was it was like two or three black people out of like 15 to 20 of us and we were about to go on this, 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 um, uh, what is it? The walking across the, um, what is it uh, called? Walking, you know, the, um, what is it called? The, the walk. It's like suspended in the air. It's a, Oh, like at the castle, like the slave castle. Yeah. But it's, it's only like seven of these in the world, but it's like a crosswalk that's just made out of like wood and rope. It's like oh. hundreds of feet in the air. Oh, and wow. so, before we got there, I said to I said, excuse me, I have an announcement to make. Um, just so you know, I'm the uncooperative black. And I say that because I think that real world always had the uncooperative black and then the black that got along with everybody. Yes. yes. So it was really interesting to see the dynamics of how they positioned and exaggerated what it meant to be pop culture and black, because sometimes you'd have that black person that was either ambiguous to race or just kind of wanted to justify it. And then you had the black, like Tammy, who was ready to pop off, you know? And so it was, or or just, or just not willing to do, you know, what your mama told you you shouldn't do. I mean, some of it is cultural too, because some of the stuff, you know, we, you know, we, some black people weren't raised to do certain things. I mean, that's just a right. So, you know, the way in which white people party and you, Lynn knows the way people get it in at white institutions when it comes to partying is very different. Like black people, we don't have to be drunk to have fun. We don't have to drink to dance. I mean, that's how we were raised. So I think it's interesting the way it it, there, there's nothing, there's nothing in between for us, but there's a whole lot of whiteness in between. And what if I fake, I was going to say, one of my favorite parties uh, in college, and I think it was, so you had already graduated, Meredith. It was the se- my senior year. It was in a townhouse uh, of black students. And uh, so it's on-campus housing uh, townhouse. And um, so they said the party was starting. Let's say they said the party was starting at like eight. And those of us in the know showed up because we knew there was going to be food. So we showed up at eight o'clock. 
and everyone who showed up. I was at that party. I was at that party. Were you the chicken? (laughs) The chicken was gone. Yeah, it was gone. That's always the case. And they told you, but it was, but again, it was one of those things where it was like you all again. Food for us is important. I have a friend who I toured, did theater tours with, another black woman who was like, I don't understand just drinking recreationally, like as a, as a, not recreationally, but as a, as an activity, like, is there food? Is there dancing? Is there karaoke? And that was a different thing. Cause we were like, y'all little black children, you should know if they told you the food was coming at eight, y'all should have been here at eight. Why'd yeah. y'all show up at nine looking for food? Yeah. Um, yeah. No. So one of the things we're talking about the real world. So when the real world first started in 92, um, it was uh, like we said, pretty unscripted, right? They Mm -hmm. put together who they put together to cause conflict, Mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't, it was different from the real world. Does it still come on where it's like, let's get a bunch of hot people in a hot tub and get them all drunk. It wasn't that, (laughs) that it wasn't that. And um, but it was it was very interesting, and I don't know if you saw was it last year or year before last? It was last year, right? Because it was the thirtieth year mm-hmm. they did a. Oh, um, yeah. I didn't watch those episodes. Yeah, but kind of came back. Yeah, and yep. there were the same sorts of issues with the same people. Yep. Um, because on its face, reality TV sort of in a in a sad way right sort of shows you who people really are which is which is sad especially when they're not willing to listen mm-hmm. and they come in but again it was really interesting 30 years ago 1992 most of these people were in their late teens early to mid 20s maybe mm-hmm. and now 30 years later they're in their you know 40s and early 50s and people were still booty um but I think to me, a lot of that, I mean, if you, did you see the reunion of the first real world? And one of the interesting things that the bootiness was about was about race was that there was a woman named Becky who had literally, her name <laughs> Becky, who Girl, had, had, <laughs> it's true, who had the first season had, had With been crazy. Yes. Because yes, because she had been unwilling to listen to things about race. So she comes back as this, honestly, 2021 exaggeration of, the quote unquote, it's the kind of thing that we don't see as woke, but white people who hate the word woke think woke is, which is she was super like judgmental and very proud of the, what she thought her healing and her specific iteration of anti-racism was. And I don't even see race and I do African dance and blah, 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 blah. So when Kevin Powell attempts to have a conversation and say, you were hostile to this conversation 30 years ago. And of course she was still hostile to it. How dare you say I can't identify as a black woman? How dare you say that African dance? I mean, I'm just, you saw it, Lynn, right? I did not. I, it was insane. And she, of course, left again. And because she's the kind of person that waits for people to go, no, no, you're fine. It's fine. Don't leave. And they were like, I, hope, I wish you don't have to leave. <laughs> but she, But she found that 30 years later, the comfort, the onus was not on her comfort. And I think that that's what upset her because in 1992, the onus is on the white person's comfort. Yeah. And in, it still is that way in a way in 2022, okay. 2023. <laughs> but the way that they played it was Kevin's not wrong. And you've had 30 years to mull these things over and you still make yourself the victim and someone else's victimization. Yeah. And it was stunning. 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 So Meredith, so you said right now you're watching a lot of love and hip hop. Well, first of all, what was, so you said you watched the world world. What would you say were your early favorites um, as far as reality television goes? Um, Now this is what's interesting. I never could get into like the competitions. I never really liked, I mean, I liked like flavor of love and stuff like that, but I'm talking about like survivor (laughs) and those kinds. I never could get being raised, maybe because I'm not athletically inclined and it just didn't resonate with me. I don't know, but um, I, I I think like Flavor of Love is a classic. Um, how watched how, it? Let's see what else. Uh, Real World, Road Rules. I I did like Road Rules. I did like that. Um, what are some other reality? My God. Um, so The Bachelor. Oh my God! Yeah, The Bachelor. I watched. I watched that for like a hundred of the hundred and fifty years it's been on. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. The Bachelorette. 
um, Bachelor in Paradise. Yes, Skeezy um, McSkeezerton. I love it. It's just because once again, I am so fascinated by what people are willing to do <laughs> in front of an audience of people. I mean, I know eventually you forget the cameras are there, yeah. but like, like even like especially the reality ones, it's like, girl, he just tongue kissed five people and then came to you. Well, whoa. <laughs> Like it's is it really like, nasty. That good? I mean, because I don't. Yeah, so it's no. just like it's just really interesting the dynamic. So I mean, I've been watching it forever. My undergrad is in sociology, and so I guess, yes. and then my master's in African American studies, right? Okay, so then right. and then my PhD, boom, women's and gender studies. So it's like, girl, it's just a whole bunch going on in this head. Okay, every time <laughs> I it is all kinds of situations. I am like the Matrix. I see stuff. <laughs> people don't see or people don't recognize um and that's what keeps me fascinated by it do you so when these shows first came on again i keep going back to the first real world you had uh what's his name eric needs who needs needs who was a dancer right on mtv and then uh julie who was like from South Carolina or something, maybe Georgia. She was from the South. Who's a young white girl who was studying to be a dancer. And then Becky was a bartender maybe. And then um, Kevin was a writer. And then they kind of. Andre was the singer. Norman, I think, I forget what Norman was supposed to be or trying to be. But he was one of the first gay men uh, who was on and they showed him going but he out wasn't, on a date. But he wasn't out when the, when the show first started. Do you remember when the first show first started? He talks in the reunion about the fact that he didn't really come out until during the show. And he was right. Thinking, he went on a are, date. Yes, he went on a date. And he was like, what are people going to say? It's also interesting to me, once again, not to rag on Becky anymore than she's been ragged on. But you're listing all the things that people were. The black people had to be extraordinary. The black people had to be, from the get-go, I'm a, I'm a rapper. I, I have an ambition. Yeah. I have a goal. I'm a writer. I have an ambition. I have a goal. A bar, you can just be a bartender hanging out. And I think once again, this is part of the experiment of the first show because it was very much in that American culture of what do you do for a living and how does that validate you and your um, your personality. But I just look at that show and I look particularly as it went on that the black people, even when they were problematic, tended to be a something. They weren't just, I am a drunk frat guy. <laughs> I am a drunk sorority girl. Here is my hot tub. Um so, Meredith, when you talked about, you know, juxtaposing that with what's happening now, how do you think that has changed the, what, what Black people feel they have to or have to not be to be authentic on TV? Um, interesting. And you know what other ones I love? I love the, the couples kind of like pairing people up. Um, but what's always interesting is poor little black women. We only got but one option. It's like, girl, how do you, I mean, like y'all just think that all we want is just one particular kind of black man. You know what I mean? It's like, there's six different types of white men on show, <laughs> but there's only one. And that's if, and that's if the, the purpose is a, you know, um, heterosexual outcome, right. you know, but regardless of that, thinking about, even thinking about the complexity of gender, um, is it's very rare to see um black women who are queer or you know it's, it's, and if it is it's, it's like the stereotypical like I, I I'm a lipstick lesbian or right you know, or I'm queer or, or ambiguous or whatever you want to say and it's just interesting how the options are always so and I, I wonder how they've never had this conversation with the white girls like like we all had growing up like I know it's I know I did like when got black guys would date white girls, it was always like this tension between us, right? But you never see that play out on TV. Like I've never seen two women, a black woman and a white woman, like have that conversation on TV as if it doesn't exist, even though we know it's real and maybe that's generational. But I, I think that's part of the difference is that there are multiple ways that black women and men can live their lives out on, on the mm -hmm. show. It's very limited though, it's restrictive how they can actualize it. But the attempt to be there, the attempt to be their authentic self is there. Yes. But then it gets it gets hindered because the white imaginary doesn't have the capacity no. to capture the nuances of what it means to be a black person. Well and, and when you and when 
you have the black women who are, I don't know how many people in the bachelor, right? But how many women are in the house? Usually 25 or 50. 25. Yeah. 25. So when you so when you have two to three black women among lately lately there's more. Lately okay. is there like six or seven, but you will have like maybe three, four dark skinned girls who have a couple biracial girls. You'll have a racially ambiguous one where you go, oh, okay. If she gets far enough for you to meet her parents, you go, oh, all right. So so but with yeah. that, even if it's more, if you were in the distinct minority in terms of numbers. Yeah, phenotype and phenotype too. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's this idea though of, you're talking about people being their real selves. It's how real can you be and how real can you have those, how real can those conversations be if you don't want to get oh. cut and- also, you know, we talk again, going back to the first real world, a lot of times what you have now is people who are influencers who are just trying to get yeah, a few right. minutes because they're yeah. trying to <laughs> be on there. So somebody will pick them either. So they'll be the next bachelorette mm-hmm. right, or the next bachelor or so somebody will have them, you know, be on their show and sell their you know, cosmetics or hair, which is fine. Go do that, do that. But what I'm saying is I wonder if, you know, the differences between on those shows, women who were really there to meet somebody, whatever that looks like, and women who, we're talking about The Bachelor, but women, the same with men on The Bachelorette, but people who were there to, just to be seen and just to get forward because that's what reality TV has become a vehicle for that. But it's harder for the black people because there is there are fewer slots for black bachelors or bachelorettes than there are for the white ones. So what happens is if you don't get to a certain point, there have been times when the front runner, the person who should have been the next bachelorette or bachelor was black and they went up, they skipped over them and picked a white person because they had 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 too many black or black adjacent people in a row. So what happened right. is they, they call that being there for the right reasons. What's happened, I don't know if you've seen Paradise lately, Meredith. Mm-mm. What's happened in paradise over the last couple of years is that there was a lot more black people. So the it had gone from when they first started letting black people on paradise, they would go and nobody would pick <laughs> the black, black girls and black girls. It's like some Jim Crow it, shit. It was, you know what I'm saying? But they cast them. <laughs> it was, they would cast them and the black girl would go home or they'd have a black girl who would come on for two episodes until the white guy that was kissing on her was really waiting for some white girl to come and then she would get sent home. Mm-hmm. So what they've done is they now have had the last couple of years an equal number of black men and black women. And shockingly, they have gravitated towards each other, but then it's still a big thing. But I was like, at least the drama is the same for them. It is just for them. I mean, it's still terribly trashy. There's a guy that's local, Justin Glaze, who is from Baltimore, who was part of the last Bachelor Black in Paradise Triangle or whatever. And he's great. He said the editing wasn't great. I got a chance to talk to him a couple of weeks ago. Really great dude. But he talked about that. I asked him, so you go on the show and you, your your grandma's watching. People are watching. You have to come home. And he says, you never want to do something that you can't go back to your house mm-hmm. and do it. But for us, that's different because you talk about what's different with these younger people. For us, that would be having sex of any kind on camera, you know, doing anything <laughs> that, that, that might get you a communicable disease. They're like, <laughs> no. their idea is, did I snatch a wig on? I may have, but it was I justified in snatching that wig? Did that, was that wig deserve to be snatched? And that's their justification. And it's different. I admire it, like you said, because they're like, this is our, particularly in the black centered ones, their goal is not to be hospitable or admirable to white people. It's not about the white gaze. It's about where they, yeah, it's, it's such a different, um, it's such a different thing. And it's so disruptive when, when whiteness does appear, it's so disruptive. Oh, perfect examples. So um, I was watching the Love and Hip Hop Atlanta and it was really, really, it became so disruptive to me when they had the reunion when Jocelyn and Stevie J like tried to beat everybody up on stage because <laughs> the executive producer, this white guy kind of interjects and he's trying to have this conversation. And then he, he kind of sits uh, Jocelyn and Stevie J down to find out their side of the story and I'm just kind of like sitting here like what the I mean it was like it was so bizarre because it just took a whole different turn and it felt his presence made me uncomfortable because it felt more National Geographic in that moment than it felt like I'm interested in trying to figure out 
what went wrong. And I don't know him, so I'm not saying that was his intent. And I don't know them. And so he might have been the most comfortable person they could be with. And that's all. But what I'm saying is it just it just exuded this kind of incivility that was just like the only the only way we could bring this back to a civil place was if this, this white man sat down and had a conversation with them. That's so even though everybody else gathered themselves because you know the the host Nina I think it was Nina Parker or some more okay okay they oh, wow. themselves. okay yeah so it worked out but it was just it was just very disruptive because you don't really see the presence of white people in like loving hip hop Atlanta and New York and so it's almost like you have your guard down. It's like, who's just why you just with family, and then all of a sudden they pop in. You're like, what well, what happened? Well, also, I think that I know Lenny wants to tell me to, to interject for a minute that it also is the difference between black writers and creators and producers being in the room and white producers running the thing. Uh-huh. Because we've always talked about, like, for instance, I've watched Survivor for years, and it's very clear that not only in their casting, but in the people who are editing their storylines, that there's someone black there. Because at first, people would say stuff, and then black. Um, they put all the black people out like one, two, three, four, five, it, one or two, maybe three at the most. And then so viewers would go, well, this isn't acceptable or the way you talked about that person's hair, the way you approach this. So Jeff Probst, who just seemed to discover that black people exist in the last five years, even though they've been on there forever, is really having these conversations. And I, I kind of think that at first it was like, well, let me have this conversation. But I really think that like something broken this was about gender there was a woman on there a couple years ago who was white who said jeff why is it that you always refer to very buddy buddy the male contestants by their last name like cochran and whatever like they're your dudes but you never do that for women the women are always by their first name like we can't ever get that Mm -hmm. level of familiarity and you know we're competitors out here doing the thing and he had never thought about it it had never occurred to him that just in his maleness he was conferring a different kind of connection to the male contestants or the male presenting contestants mm-hmm. that he was to the female the female presenting contestants because no one had told him otherwise and there was no one in his ear saying whatever so i think that when it goes to what you're talking about love and hip-hop that when you've got clearly you can tell in a room whether it's reality or scripted television when there is a black producer, when there is a gay producer, queer producer, when there is a female producer in a room, the writing, the conversations, the topics, the editing flows in a much more, a much different way than it does when it doesn't. Interesting. And I think that it, I think it's contingent upon their politic, though, honestly, because mm-hmm. I'm not going to what I really want to say. I'm not going to say because it'll be controversial. Um, but I have I I I. I all can all all can folk ain't skin folk, and, they are not. and it's not about being. It's not about if you're not down for my cause, then right. you are not black. It is if you are counter to my humanity, <laughs> you are not. Come on black. now, it ain't like you know. Like there's one thing to say you're a conservative person. There's another thing yes. to to still walk around talking about you a black Republican after the, the head of freaking president of the United States was the most racist fascist person that you I mean I could ever imagine you know what I mean and yeah. you're still you're still trying to align it's about the alignment piece and all of it us really is all of us I, are along the spectrum of the proximity proximity of whiteness all of us are you know what I mean yes absolutely but when you have a chance to make that decision then I, I think it is important to make it but I, I say that because when we're talking about the production of things, I think that's one of the problems that I have now with diversity in the 21st century is that people have made a mistake and conflated, conflated representation with real presentation of yep. like a substantive, a substantive yes. multidimensional culture versus just being a black person is producing it. So that makes it, I mean, it makes it black because the person's black, but is it, is it for the culture? Is it something that is, nuancing and sophisticating uh identity and ideology of what it means to be black if it's not if it's not edifying us well here's a question and i and i i I think i know what you might say about this when when flavor of love first came on Mm -hmm. and because of our generational um respectability politics thing not not like I think that anyone who knew who Flavor Flav was would have expected a different sort of presentation. Well, well, no, but can I, I say did. this though? I, I did. did. Because <laughs> okay. Flavor Flav... Public Enemy? 
yeah, flavor, flavor, and but, but, but listen, but before prior to flavor of love on a large aspect, he was the clown prince of hip hop. But he was, I mean, not one one is a joke. He had something to say. He had, yes. yeah. he, he was, he was respected. He was, of course, the clown as compared compared to Chuck D. But he, it was different. But wasn't that after he was on the surreal life? Interesting. Yeah, so I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna look it up because I feel like him and Brigitte Nielsen. Ugh. Well, okay, so yeah, was so for that, so, so yeah, yeah, actually, it was. So the surreal life was let's get a bunch of C and D list celebrities, former celebrities, and put them in a house kind of a thing. And he had a romantic art with Brigitte Nielsen, who used to be married to Sylvester Stallone. Red Sonia, tall, right? She was Red yeah, Sonia. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, right. And so, um. You're right, that may have been. But 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 if that's true though, about flavor of love, if that did happen, I think you're right, after the surreal life, it was still a further departure though from who yeah, he it was had exaggerated. Been. It was exa- you know, and but he's also an entertainer, so Yes. And I, I absolutely agree that yeah, so uh, surreal life was two thousand three, flavor of love was two thousand six. So wow. what I was trying to yeah, so what I was trying to say was is that the when Flavor Flav went on to real life, I was surprised by his presentation. But he had already... Well, by 2006, you weren't. Yeah, by 2006, I wasn't. So when you have, like... I have come to love Tiffany Pollard Me? so much. <laughs> at first, I was like, oh my gosh, New York's so embarrassing. But I look oh, at the God. things that New York was and that she stood for. The first of all, she kept that hustle going for a very long time. She was one of the she's she's still still doing it. Still hustling. She was one of the first ones to me who came in and said, how can I make this work for me? Now I'm in charge. And like I use that you should just set the eat your food gif so much because it to me it's you know what I'm talking about, Meredith yeah, that sums up so much the thing about the universal, like people put their stuff in, whether there's their words into conversations. And often that's used in racial situations where people outside of our culture inject themselves into social media conversations that are not about them mm-hmm. and then get their feelings hurt. And then someone will pop up that um, should just set to eat your food. It's like, you could have just listened. You could have just learned something, but you had to make yourself a part of this conversation. And now we're embarrassing you. And I think that Tiffany Pollard was one of the first black women in that genre to be um, not only elevated, but to elevate herself and to understand what she had to offer. Yeah. And I, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, I am too. I do like Tiffany Pollard. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there is a, I mean, it's reality TV, but it's it's reality TV. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. it may it's it's their reality, but when we think about it, their reality isn't most people's reality anyway. I mean, <laughs> I mean, even 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 the ones who come from certain socioeconomic backgrounds, the fact that you're on television gives you right. a, this this cultural capital now that you, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you can, if you play your cards right, like some of these people play their Cardi B, I tell you, I love, I, she played them cards, honey, okay? She got on Love and Hip Hop. She got her thing and she's got right. on about her and she kept, she kept it going. It's a momentum thing and she's not stuck. She's evolving. And so I think that's the other thing, like the evolutionary process and, and some of it, I don't know what he, I don't know what, um, Flavor Flavor would be like now in reality TV, honestly. I think he'd be a yeah. blended of, I think he'd be a combination of all of those things and a com- right. also very clear to check somebody, you know what I'm saying? If mm. they get out of pocket, because I think that no matter how, um, how informal we are in, in certain spaces, you know, we're always on guard and always ready. You can always, get always, it. you can always get it. You can always get it. <laughs> so, and you have to. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, if you don't like you said, how do you, how does some how does a grown man live that long and not understand how his actions affect other people? That's how white privilege works. Like no one tells you what you do is right or wrong. It just is. And and you're able to live and manifest that without judgment daily. And again, going back to the fact that when you have shows with very few or much fewer, right? Even if it's more than usual, black contestants, the things that you have to go into your head, like we talk about this all the time, being black 
often you walk into a space and then being a black woman, right? You walk in and you go, how many people are here? Are the people looking at me funny? Where's the exit? Are there Mm -hmm. strange men looking at me? And I mean, going off a little bit like social media, whenever I get people who follow me on Instagram, I have to take a minute if it's a dude and think about it because they and they go in your inbox and this girl and this dude went in my inbox yesterday and he was like the hello and I was like hi and whatever and I was giving one word answers he goes oh so you can't talk and I was like block but again this idea that if you if you walk into anywhere you are subject to the male gaze and what men want you to and not just subject looks like not just subject to it, but beholden to it. Yeah. Not just a part of that you are going to be on display, but that you then must do things. What's that? Uh, Margaret Atwood said, uh, "Men fear that they're going to be laughed at by women, and when men women fear that men are going to kill them." That's a paraphrase, but mm-hmm. that we we live our lives. Men are like the worst thing that can happen is that you make fun of me. Women are like the worst thing is that I have to do a, a game in my head where I'm trying to figure out what do I have to say to get out of this, this situation alive? What do I have to get out of the situation? Not, I mean, the easy thing is being called a BT, B-I-T-C-H on social media. You can delete that. But when you're in a situation where I read something the other day where a woman said she was harassed by her, her Lyft driver and she had to figure out what do I have to do to get out of this car? You know, right. um, that's a different thing. So I think reality television, it comes back to you have someone I think that people, like you said, Meredith, are bothered less by what people might say. Do you ever watch Catfish? I have. So tragic. I just it's like <laughs> that is one of those it's, things where I'm like, it's like never. What the heck? But I mean, don't you have? Yeah, I have watched it. I have watched it because that's one of those shows where I go, "What about your friends?" Because where are your friends? You don't have anybody besides. And I love Neve Schulman. I've met him. I've talked to him. He's a lovely person, but he has made a, a fortune on people who don't have good sense enough to talk to a friend to say, you you think I should go to Hawaii and meet a guy I have never met before? You think I should, that, that his, it's weird that his microphone is always broken. His camera is always broken when I try to talk to him, you know, but I have given him many monies for his peoples in someplace else. Oh yeah, that's not bad. And it just, it's crazy to me. That you that people do this and go, oh no, this is a completely legit situation with someone who I've never seen move their mouth on a television screen on my phone. I can't just call them. And have I, mean, I was guilty up. of that back in the day because I was on like Black Planet and all those kind of, and I I was naive. I mean, there was a level of naivete I had because I really was like, I mean, my 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 parents were strict. I didn't get to do much until sure. after my father died. That's when I was able to get buck wild. But before that, and even my buck wild when I was younger wasn't sexual. It wasn't that kind of, you know, it was other stuff. I was just in, just in stuff. But it, but you know, so I was a bit naive too, and I I did some things that I don't did some things now, uh, <laughs> and and I get Thanks. it, but I don't understand how in the twenty first century there's one thing back then, but in the twenty right. first century, on any given day, somebody floating in a river from meeting somebody online. I don't I don't know like where, where I don't I don't know where like that kind of like. The, the lack of sense. I mean, even even now, like if I if I were to meet somebody online, I mean, I'm taking a picture of your driver's license, taking a picture of your your um, license tags. I'm Talk about my it, friend. I'm giving her your cell number. Um, but let's just be clear: if if if, you, if we go, I won't go down with the ship. I, I I'm going. I'm going. You know, I might be dead, but you'll be one testicle less, one eyeball less. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I'm saying. We can talk I'll about go down it. With the yeah. ship. What she said. Yeah, I, I will go down with the ship. That's right. <laughs> I will go. No down. white flag. No, no yeah. white flag. So I just think the the <laughs> I just think people there's there's so many things that people are safe about now, but then there's so many things that we're just callous about. Is and what I do what don't you think a lot of it though is is that we've always decided this never going to happen to me. The, you know, I'm going to be the the one who doesn't get built of, you know, my money because you've decided that, I mean, it's a, I think, well, you know, I'm big into empathy and 
and stuff. I think a lot of it is we tend to not empathize with people sometimes because we've decided that that stuff is never going to happen to us. But you're somebody and we were people who thought those things could happen to us, which is why mm-hmm. we had our eyes yeah. open. I mean, I met my husband online um, and I had on eHarmony and I met him at like two o'clock in the afternoon at a mm-hmm. Panera yeah, and, okay. and I told ten o'clock at a hotel. Heck no! And I told people where I was. I had a girlfriend call me, prepared to be like, "You have to come now, right?" And and I was like, "It's okay, he's good." But but I had all those layers and levels of stuff. I let him leave first. The first time we went out after that, we met at a movie theater and went out to dinner afterwards but we drove separately because I was like I don't know you well yeah. enough to get into a sec- to go to a second location with you yeah. without my car um but yeah so all that to say um this conversation went in a different direction but it all based though in um the things that we we're talking about black female contestants um on these shows the preparation in your brain that you have to do some would say mental gymnastics that you have to do to decide who am I going who am I going to be what is my end goal am I trying to get to the end of the bachelor so I have to be a certain way am I trying to get to the end of like you've never you watch survivor um and that's a whole thing too so um survivor there was a guy it's white dude named russell hance who um was a horrific little guy who sorry fight me russell fans he was a tiny weasel troll whose his whole game was menace right and what happened was is that he lost he's lost two or three times right he lost the first time because people, here's the thing, because people respected that play. And the woman who won was this young, skinny white woman from Arkansas because she at first was one of kind of his minions who was doing his dirty work, but she figured it out that no one liked him. (laughs) And so she started playing that against him and she wound up winning because she realized that he could run roughshod for 39 days, but on day 40, you have to get somebody to vote for you. And for a million dollars. For a million dollars. And they did, not just because they hated him, because she knew how to play the game. But again, there are people now, almost 20 years later, who think that her game was weak because she played in a way that you, in a very smart way that isn't valued by some people because you didn't see her scheming and stuff. And also it's the femininity part. People on Survivor, once again, and I, I'm a huge Survivor fan to this day, that so much of it is how many uh, cha- physical challenges did you win? How many mm-hmm. times did you climb a tree? How many times did you go in the water and get all the fish and build a thing and know how to use fire or whatever? There was a character, well, it's characters, it was a contestant years ago whose name was Lil, who was this slightly annoying white woman who had, she came, you wear the same thing you wear when you get there. She was a Cub Scout leader and she had her Cub Scout uniform and she Little came brown off shorts. with her rolled brown shorts and she came off as this yeah. very kind of lame person, but they had a, a, she was living for this challenge, I think, challenge where you had to stand on this um, platform that gets narrower and narrower and narrower. And so she does yoga. And, and, and aerobics. So she, and camps and stuff. So she was like, I was born for this. So she's standing there on one foot, <laughs> checking her nails, squatting. Do, squatting, doing her taxes, whatever. And all like the big dudes and the, and the little girls who were like, whatever, are watching her and they're trying to get her. The guy's like, I'll pay you if you give me the victory. She's like, I don't know who you think you are or I am or whatever. But because these things were were constructed in a very gendered way. So the way that Natalie played or the way that um, Marianne, who was one of the first black, one of the black female winners from a couple seasons ago, the way that they played was, it looked like, cause Marianne was like, she was this black Canadian woman, uh, Marianne catch whose parents are Nigerian and she was born in Canada. And her thing was like, she was like almost embarrassingly honest and not just honest, but she was super earnest and she was super, oh my God, I love everybody. And oh, that guy's cute or whatever. But Marianne was playing. Marianne was thinking. So at the end of the, she got to the end and people were like, all right, crazy girl, why should we vote for you? And she's like, well, when this happened, I was playing you. And when this happened, with, <laughs> and, by, and by the way, I have an immunity idol that y'all don't even know about. Y'all thought I knew about everything. I got, I could have got y'all out of here at any time see me and they gave her the money but that's because over the years the it had the type of gameplay that was respected 
change because this little girl who maybe won a challenge who was goofy and whatever. And I felt bad for her because I thought they made fun of her because she was kind of this goofy black girl and she was so pretty and so funny. And she was like, I'm authentically myself and also hand me my check, please. Yes. Run me. The coins. Run me the coins. Um, I had, So I had a question that, that quick and it went out. Um, do you think that, and we kind of sort of covered this, um, what do you think racially, if there is one, and maybe we've already covered it, the perfect reality show or the best reality show is Meredith that that allows black people to be mm. who they are and and what that and what that is and what and what that even means because there's so many levels of what what does it mean? I got one. Black Ooh. in Chicago. I don't know that show. It's a tattoo. It's a tattoo series. I mean, so there's a Black Ink Compton. There's a Black Ink oh, New York City. Black Ink, yes. Black yes, Ink yes. Crew, Chicago. And Ryan is the the main, um, he, is the, he is the glue that brings everybody together. It's his tattoo shop. I will say I have never seen such beautiful examples of Black men in all my days. Oh, I mean, yeah. they're vulnerable with one another. They talked about depression, suicidal ideations, loss, love, you know, dysfunction, um, betrayal. And they go through this on TV. And like, mm. even if it ain't real, it's right. real. Because it's so, it's so beautiful because these men are like, built and you know tattoos everywhere and just as tender and loving and and want to be heard and want to be seen don't want to be misunderstood um it is so beautiful because one of the one of the episodes um one of the guys was struggling with depression and he thought about you know hurting himself and his mm -hmm. friends came his, his brother and his and ryan came to him and they were crying they stayed up with him all night long just holding him and crying together. It was so beautiful. I mean, it was so freaking beautiful. It was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, this is what it's supposed to look. This is what it looks. It's like a moonlight on steroids. Mm. Kind of, in the sense of, and I'm not, and I, I'm in the sense of the vulnerability is there. Right, yes. Every, you know, the, all of this, like people are wearing, like the men are wearing their feelings on their sleeves. And even when they feel like they can't, and they feel like they can't get out of their own way to express themselves. They even express that. So it was, it's just beautiful. It's just a beautiful black and crew Chicago. If I ever, I don't have any tattoos. The only person in the world that, that could tattoo me would be Ryan. And if I could get in Chicago, Ryan, I'm 53. I want a tattoo by you. Nobody yes. knows but you. That is bad. I'm telling you, I've never seen anything like it. And, and to have the academic background to see it, you know, and to understand how, how nuanced it is, is what is so fascinating to me. Because I do think there's something about this generation. They are so sophisticated and savvy and yes. so stupid at the same time. Well, because, you know, what's interesting, that again, we talked about having, we talked about some shows having Black people in the room. What if Black people are the room, right? Yeah, are, that's Black right. That's Black Ink. I mean, they're right. multiracial, though. I mean, there's some people who are multiracial, biracial, right. um, Asian. You know, it's it's it's, but it's still central centralized within a, a a framing of Black culture. And it's even if it was to that it was. Um, scripted at least the script is going in the right direction yeah. and what is the story that you're trying to tell because yeah. again a lot of these stories is what you're trying to tell is women are fast or you know what i'm saying like whatever the, yeah. the story is that you're trying to tell or black guys are menacing or you know black women ain't about nothing and, yeah, or, nice. or they're, oh, they're, yeah see that's a that's that's amazing so um the question one of the questions that we asked and I think we're kind of there. If you, or before we, we sort of wrap up, if you have um, anything else that you wanted to share about reality TV. So what are you watching right now besides um, Love and Hip Hop? Uh, Love Boat. Um, I've watched, oh! I watched Married at First Sight. I watched, I, oh my God, Love is Blind, the first season. Ah! 
that was epic. That was every freaking thing. I it was oh, everything. And that oh my god, he's so beautiful. I mean, it was such a beautiful it was so beautiful cuz even the first time he looked at her, it was just like, oh, yes. damn. Is this it was a called? couple, it was a, a biracial interracial couple yeah. that he had never dated a, he had dated black no, women. Dated she had black never women. dated a white. He had never been with yeah, a white man. She had never been a white guy. And they and her family was like whatever, but they were so it was the minute that they talked it was such a beautiful thing yeah. uh, that that re, the reunion show and the one where they did like the not the reunion with uh with the uh, Nick Lachey and Vanessa but the one where they had like the party when they uh-huh. came back and the one guy had invited an extra girl. Do you remember that one where there was a guy that they had been like he'd been in a relationship was like one of those little blonde girls and so her husband slash part whoever he was came back and he invited her back but also he brought some girl from another show with wow, them and it was a right. huge terrible mess but i didn't i didn't see the second season i started watching the third season i didn't like it the second season was the one where the guy in the the reunion said well the only woman i found attractive on this whole show was vanessa lachey and he was about to find out oh, how, yeah, Cin- yeah, how cincinnati yeah, trash i know you're he, talking about he was about to find out how cincinnati um nick lachey was because nick kind of set up and I was like, oh no, you about to get killed. Yeah. Nin- 98 Degrees has something for you. You do not. <laughs> it's the hardest thing I ever had to do was punch you in the face and punch you in the eye and tell you I don't like you. It was terrible. But yeah, that's a fun one. That's a, I'm the love boat. I, you know, I didn't like it. I didn't like it because I'm seen, okay. I haven't seen all of it yet. No, I just watched the first two episodes. I am an old person and I wanted the t- people on that show are too young to have a connection with the actual nostalgia of the. Yeah, logo. it is a little creepy. They seem yes. it, does, it doesn't it doesn't it's not a good connection. Even though I like I like how they have the the younger versions of them, like the right. food director and all that. I like that, but it, it is strange. It's it's out of place, but I I get it. I mean, it, you know. So again, so Meredith, what we ask people at the end of the show is first of all, where would you like? To, where can people find you if you would like to be found? Um, so I do have an Instagram at Dr. Meredith Davis and, um, I have a Gmail and that's about it. I mean, I, well, that's I'm cool. We're going to hit you on Insta. <laughs> so I guess the question we always wrap up with is as after this discussion, you've had some time to think about it. Do you find this thing cheesy? And if you do, do you care? I find it cheesy and I care about cheesy things. Yes. Yeah. That's my favorite answer ever. Literally my favorite <laughs> answer of the what's 15, 16 things that we have, have oh, done. Oh wow, awesome. Because most people are like, well I, it's fine, it's cheesy, but I don't care. I'm just living it up. You're like, I yeah, care about it because it is cheesy. I love cheesy, Same. I love corny, I love quirky, I love all of it. That is amazing. Thank you guys so much for this conversation. All of us, and we're also, y'all can't come, people listening, but all of us, the three of us, are overdue for a lunch or coffee or drinks or something very soon. Right. Spirit time. Spirit. It's happening. Oh, the spirits. Spirited <laughs> conversation. Spirited. With, with bourbon. But anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Fine Beats and Cheese. And as always, stay cheesy. Bye. Bye. Bye.